to the show, kid. Order, order. Yeah, I'll have a cheeseburger and fries. Steps to increase testing access should have happened before the current wave hit, not several weeks into the surge. How would you respond to that, Dr. Murthy? We have made a lot of progress on testing. Dr. Murthy, I know what you're doing now, but the question is, why wasn't it done sooner? Look, you say you always hold out hope, but you plan for the worst. It doesn't sound like that happened. Well, there was planning, uh, Martha, and there was execution on increasing the supply of tests. He got infrastructure passed, and that's a good thing because success can can breed success. He is putting the full force of the presidency behind it. I think the problem for the Democrats right now is is not that they have bad leaders; they have bad followers. Yeah, we're going to need so so much healing, and so Joe's not going to only be the commander in chief; he's going to be really the healer in chief. Well, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. All of them with tears in their eyes for the departure from our democracy that is happening right now. I think we're done and we're going to move on. Russia will be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. If they invade, they're going to pay. So I just want to be clear, if Americans are still in Ukraine and things start happening with Russia, are they pretty much on their own? Well, we are conveying very clearly now that now is the time to leave. Uh, but there is not an intention or a plan for any military evacuation. From Russia with love, I fly to you. Jack Riccardi, 4 till 7, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. KTSA News Times 408. Hello there. Good afternoon. I feel like uh, I feel like all of a sudden we've got a new number one hit on the charts. Like COVID is, has slipped. It's Ukraine. It's insane on the Ukraine. COVID's now the runner-up. COVID's now the you know they're the wild card. So um, good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show. I, I see a pattern here, and I wonder if you see it, too. Um, there was all this talk over the weekend and today about uh, how uh, we have to step up and uh, have a show of force and send a message to Putin that he can't just take Ukraine. And to do that, we're, we're going to send several thousand more American troops to Europe. And I looked it up, and we have 74,000 U.S. troops in Europe now. That's all personnel, all branches. There's 74,000 American servicemen and women in Europe now. And they're, they're, they're spread out. There's so many in Germany and so many in France and so many in Britain. And, but aren't, aren't they there for exactly this kind of moment? I mean, what message are they sending? Is 74,000 nothing? But 5,000 more would be a real, that would be a real eye opener for Vlad? Does that make any sense to you? That doesn't make any sense to me. And the other thing that's interesting about this is they say we need to send some more troops, but no one is making any intelligent suggestions or observations about what they would actually be for. And remember when Trump, you remember Trump, right? (laughs) You remember when Trump was picking on NATO, he was hurting NATO's feelings, because he was pointing out that we do all the heavy lifting and we spend all the money and they don't, the NATO members don't even contribute the, the bare minimum that they have agreed to contribute, uh, from their budgets into 
the common defense of Europe. And and this is a common defense of Europe moment. The the Russia Ukraine thing has no uh ramifications beyond that. Remember when he said, just do 2%, just do what you're supposed to do. And they grumbled and complained, and the liberals in this country said, oh, he's destroying the the alliances and he's insulting our friends. What kind of a leader insults our friends? So I'm reading yesterday, this is NATO's answer to Ukraine. Denmark will send four F-16s and a ship. Spain will send a couple of of planes. France is ready to send hundreds of troops to Romania. Netherlands will send two F-35s. We have 74,000 troops in Europe, and we're sending thousands more. And we have the Harry Truman Carrier Group in in the Mediterranean. It's the same as it always was. You're paying all this money to protect Europe from Russia... We're the ones doing it. We're the ones footing the bill. And they're standing around. He was right about that. And I don't care if the alliances are better now or they like us better now. Of course they like us better now. We're not asking them to do much. It's always, it always makes you more popular when you don't demand anything. When Trump tried to force these NATO members to just step up to the plate, and if they had... Who knows, maybe the whole balance of power thing would have looked a little different to Russia. I don't know. But it's just been weakness and emptiness for the longest time. And we still haven't really resolved what is NATO for post the Cold War. And um, a couple of thoughts about this whole thing. Nothing happens in a vacuum, right? So whatever Putin is going to do or thinking about doing it isn't happening in a vacuum it's happening as he's watched events unfold and they watch the internal politics of this country and they know the biden family's compromised position with ukraine and china and speaking of not happening in a vacuum china is watching and iran is watching and north korea is watching and all of those countries have recently been doing more ballsy and aggressive things and I'm not saying that um, it's all Biden's fault, but they're watching. And we can't now make up for all of the messages we've sent, all of the vacillation, by just sending some troops. And troops are people. I think we ought to have some idea why we're doing it, if we're going to do that. And we don't, seems to me. Now, um, something else that's interesting. Have you noticed that about every few hours these days, something that had been a conspiracy theory about COVID becomes a new fact about COVID? Cloth masks aren't effective. That used to be a crazy conspiracy theory. You're banned from Twitter. N95s work better. Natural immunity is much stronger and more durable than the shot, and so forth and so on. These were the things that if you said them before, just a few months ago, you were an anti-vaxxer, you're dangerous. 
We can't even have you saying these things. It's not that we, if you say them, we'll, we'll respond to them, we'll criticize them. What we, people mustn't even hear you say these things. And now these things are being said by the people in charge. And they're saying things like, we have now learned. I wonder how long they knew. And remember last week we were talking about how no matter, no matter what is announced, no matter what the science shows, there are people that are never going back. They're never going in a restaurant again. They're never going to go to a concert again. There are people that will not let go, and they are mad at the experts they used to trust now telling them it's okay, do it. And we talked last week about how there are doctors who are having their fan bases turn on them. Because for two years, these doctors told you, wipe Purell on your, on your, you know, bananas and stuff, and, and, and people did it, and now these doctors are saying, we're ready to move forward, we're ready to come out into the open, we're ready to resume our lives, it's okay. And, and the people who had trusted them before now say they're reckless and crazy. Here's an example of what I mean. I want you to listen to this clip of Bill Maher. He's telling some jokes about this, and then the ladies on The View are uh, are reacting. They're really upset that Bill Maher is telling these jokes, and they are not ready to let go of COVID sanity. Take a listen to this. Just people on the fringe either who are, who are you know, speaking out like this. And over the weekend, Bill Maher made a case for people who are vaccinated, boosted, and have been following the rules since all of this started. Take a look. You don't want to live in your paranoid world anymore, your masked paranoid world. You know, you go out, it's silly now. You know, you have your mask, you have to have a card, you have to have a booster, they scan your head. <laughs> like you're a cashier and I'm a bunch of bananas. <laughs> I'm not bananas, you are. That's not really funny to people who have lost their kids mm, to no. this vaccine or people who have lost family members or dear friends to this it's it's just you know listen nobody on the planet really wants to go through this this is not something we're doing because it's you know sexually gratifying this is what we're doing to protect our families and you don't have to do it but stay away from everybody because if you're the one who's not paying attention and you're coughing and sneezing, you don't want to, then stay out of the public, man. This is not, nobody wants this. I don't want it. And I think he's forgetting that people are still at risk who cannot get vaccinated. People who can't get, little kids under the age of five. Yeah. Or people with health conditions. How dare you be so flippant, man? Well, they're, still like, people they gotta, they're over it. Like, yeah. like a relationship. I'm yeah. over it. I don't feel like I don't seeing think him anymore. To the post-mask part, because I think there's a prudence we've learned with the mask, the hand, sanita uh, hand sanitizing that, kind of like 9-11 with flying, is always going to be here now. There's a new normal. In the beginning, when at post-9-11, people didn't want to fly, and the security measures felt like, uh, how do we do this? You know. And now it's the norm. I think some of the things we've learned in this pandemic are going to stay the same. I may never ride a subway again without a mask. I may never go indoors to big crowds and ever feel comfortable without a mask, and that's up to me to do that. Um, so much there, you know. How dare you? How dare you be so flippant, says Whoopi Goldberg. Okay. But the last lady, I don't know who she is. She's one of the panelists on The View. She says, um, it's like TSA. Well, she's actually right. We are doing all these things at the airport for no good reason. 
other than if we stopped doing them, these panicked people would be afraid. Going through the rituals of making sure we're not reenacting the 9-11 hijackings is, is, is how these perpetually frightened people get on airplanes. We all have to do it because they would be freaked out if we didn't. And this is what I don't want to see happen with COVID. I'm fine with the fact that there are some people that will never again be able to, they've got to have a mask on when they go places, and they can do that, and I will respect that. But we can't let them make the rules for all of us, and that's what happened with TSA. So if you want to do it, you do it. But don't demand that everyone do it or else they're not taking it seriously and they don't care about children dying. I'm okay. I'm a live and let live guy. You do what you, you need to do. But you can't be making the rules for the rest of us if you're determined to hang on forever to something that only makes sense temporarily. And it might not have even made sense temporarily. 210-599-5555. You know, if the American left wasn't in charge of so much, they'd be kind of fun to watch because... They really can't make up their mind. Like, they love troops. They hate troops. They love they love military buildups. They hate military buildups. They love sending troops abroad. They hate troops going abroad. Cops. Right now, all these uh, lefty mayors in blue cities are bringing back the police. We need the police. We're getting tough on crime. Are we supposed to forget two years ago or a year and a half ago? It's the same thing, right? You don't really know where their there is. It just blows in the wind. And um, I've never been a soldier and I've never been a police officer. But I would like to think, I would, I would imagine that it's a little bit easier to do those jobs when you know what the people at the top expect of you. They're not asking for hearts and flowers and, you know, glowing tributes. But, look, does this matter to you or not? Does this work that I'm doing matter to you or not? Is this a game to you or is it real? Because this is my life. And I just want to know that I'm doing it for people that take this stuff seriously. This talk about sending troops to Europe is very frivolous talk. It's very easy for people in politics or on television panels to say it should be 5,000, 3,000, 8,000. They sound like they're guessing how many napkins to bring to the picnic. That's not how this works. And if you want to say to me, well, I think we need X number, my question is going to be to do what? We have 74,000. I'm not sure what they're doing. And I don't mean I'm not sure what they're doing. I mean, I'm not sure what the, what message they send or deterrent effect uh, they they have. And I don't think we've seriously examined that in a long time. I think we have troops in Europe because, well, we've always had them there. You know, one of the things that was disruptive about Trump is he asked questions. How come we don't talk to North Korea? I think we should talk to North Korea. Well, how, how come we don't demand that NATO members uh, meet their obligations? I think we need to, let's, 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 you know, let's do stuff we haven't done before because it seems like we should. And boy, the establishment of both parties couldn't wait to get back to, oh, no, 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 don't rock the boat. Don't, it's just, these are our friends. We don't want to ask anything of them. We don't want to make them uncomfortable. It's very important that they are 
They feel good about NATO. 210-599-5555. I mean, I don't mean to make light of this stuff, but it's kind of crazy the way it looks to me. Uh, Sam is on KTSA. Sam, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. You know, Jack, I think ultimately with Russia, this is more of a show of force. But the fact is, you know, Russia with Ukraine, uh, China with Taiwan, you know, even Iran to an extent, you know, once Biden became president and uh, uh, Dr. Jill took him out of the basement, you know, and also the Democrats joke about foreign policy. Now is a great time for all the bad actors. You know, you, you can't hide weakness and incompetence no matter how hard, you know, the media tries to uh, spin it. You know, all the countries knew President Trump, all those countries knew that President Trump was looking out for America, especially China. But, you know, Biden's gotten so rich off of China, he really owes China big time. Yeah, I, I I do think that they feel very emboldened, and one other thing that I think has emboldened them is not just the election of Biden. I think it's Afghanistan. Um, that was just, you know, whatever, however you want to spin that here, and whatever people want to say about it here, and I know it's a Democrat Republican thing, and you get tired of that. I do too, but to the world, that wasn't the Democrats. That was America. And I think they're saying, you know, these guys don't have their ducks in a row right now. They're divided. Their own media are telling us people all hate each other and there's no unity. And it's, it's, it's ripped apart by racism and classism. So this is a good time to push a little because they can't do anything. They won't do anything. And they won't support, if their government does try to do something, the people won't support it. And I think that's how it looks to the world. And you can blame whoever you want to blame for that, but that's a real problem. Pretty good day for um, inventions today. On this day in 1922, the Eskimo pie was patented. The Eskimo pie is 100 years old, invented by a guy in Iowa. And on this day in 1934, the first beer can was introduced. Beer in a can was born on this day, and the Eskimo pie. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good night right there. <laughs> And a beer and an Eskimo pie. This is also the uh, birthday of the Macintosh computer from Apple. This day in 1984. Remember those commercials, those Orwellian commercials? Remember when you could do things Orwellian and people would go, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that never happened. So glad we ne- that never came true. That hellish dystopia never happened. <clears throat> 210-599. 5555. Yeah, the ladies on the view saying, uh, look, nobody likes this, but we have to do it. They love it. They love it. And part of loving it is you have to pretend to hate it, but they love it. Why not just if you love something, just love it? I, I love pizza. I'm not going to pretend to hate pizza. I love pizza. I can't eat it as much as I'd like to, but when I do, I love it. I'm not going to make excuses about that. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. There are people that love censoring themselves and their lifestyle and let them do it and love them for doing it but let them do it just don't put them in charge of the rest of us speaking of censorship um everybody said it i said it a lot of people said it you watch the model of crushing the spreaders of disinformation about covid that model will be used again and again It's not going to be a one-time thing. And so now climate alarmists are suggesting that people who question global warming 
or man's influence on the changing weather also need to be censored. Just They are just as dangerous as people that questioned the orthodoxy of masks and shots. And the people calling for it are the usual suspects, people like Facebook and YouTube. USA Today had a story saying that there are still too many climate change falsehoods and theories on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok. Social media people denying climate change or disputing its causes or underplaying its effects. And there need to be warning labels. Says a group called Advanced Democracy. Advanced Democracy. Orwell would have loved that. Climate scientists, the USA Today article goes on, climate scientists say they're frustrated by the lack of progress, meaning they're frustrated that people keep questioning or doubting them. And what happened when the experts on COVID were questioned, doubted, when they were hassled with this, the, 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 the great unwashed asking questions, when the proles wanted to ask questions? You've got to shut them up and sit them down. Now they're going to do it with the climate. Now, an interesting thing happened with COVID, and not at all surprising. The conspiracy theories, or the, hey, what about, uh, became official, or at least got currency. And so I wonder if, despite the efforts to shut down and silence the, the, the climate change doubters, who's to say that in five years or ten years or even less time, that won't be the new orthodoxy? And it's dangerous to shut down ideas you don't like because you don't really ever shut them down. You can't really kill an idea. You can just drive it deeper into the crevices of the Internet, deeper into the crevices of the, of the public conversation. And when it goes deeper... Then it's exposed to less sunlight, right? When something goes deep, when it goes down underground, it doesn't get sunlight. It doesn't get the review and the exposure that would maybe show it to be nonsense. And when people have a sense that a fact or a claim is being hushed up or covered up, in a lot of people's minds, that that makes that claim or that assertion more believable. So these nitwits that are trying to silence climate change doubters won't do anything but make more of them. And um, I, I, I guarantee you we're going to see this across the board. On things where your objections, your doubts, your dissent are inconvenient or annoying. I'm just so tired of these people raising all these questions and calling into talk shows. Can't we just shut them up? Yes, we can. We have a way of doing that. We did it for COVID. 210-599-5555. All right. We're going to talk about all of this. We're going to get your votes in on the Stevens Roofing JR poll. Talk a little uh, weekend football. Can we do that? We need to do that. Do they need to change the rules for overtime, do you think, in the NFL? Boy, there's some people hot about that, especially in some cities. Don't ask people in Buffalo about that today. Um, I... I hadn't planned to watch as much of it as I did, but I'm so glad I did. Those were some great games this weekend. 
I'm more of a college football guy now. I hardly ever watch the NFL. But the college game is over. And uh, I'll tell you, the Cincinnati-Tennessee game was a great game. Cincinnati is a real, that's an up-and-coming team. And seeing Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, they're, they're just going to be so good for so long, I think. That's just going to be exciting. Um, and then the whole deal where the top seeds get the bye week, that didn't work out because Tennessee got the bye, Green Bay got the bye, they both lost. But all the games were close. They were all thrilling. I, I thought, actually, of the four games, I thought the Tampa-LA game was the least satisfying. A lot of mistakes, very sloppy. Toward the end, it seemed like both teams were trying to give the, the game to the other team. <laughs> I was like talking out loud to the television, like, what? You guys are just swapping back and forth. Mistake, mistake, mistake. But, but I will say, you, you gotta, you, you gotta give it to Matthew Stafford. I mean, he stepped up at the right time and did what needed to be done. So kudos to him for that. I, I guess now they'll play San Francisco. LA will play San Francisco and Cincinnati and Kansas City will play. Um, do you think they need to change the rules for how a team wins a playoff overtime game? So they have the coin flip. When they went into overtime, when Buffalo and Kansas City went into overtime, they had the coin flip. And because Buffalo lost the coin flip, they never got a possession in overtime. And Kansas City went down and scored. And what made that even more painful was it had been such... The last few minutes of that game was probably some of the best football you'll ever see. That that game was probably the best postseason game I've ever seen. I haven't seen them all, but in my lifetime. I mean, very few mistakes, everybody playing at the top of their game. The quarterbacks were great. I'm not a Josh Allen fan, but he obviously came up big time. But because they lost the coin flip, they never got their hands on the ball in the overtime period. And in college, they have that um, deal where each team gets a possession that starts on, and I could be a little off on this, I think it, I think each team starts on the other team's 25-yard line. So each team gets that chance. And then they have this sort of, you know, tiered system of winnowing it down. Each overtime period works differently and... The bad part of that is that you can have a college football game that ends at regulation. It's like, you know, 10 to 10 or 17 to 17. And then the final score will be like 56 to 44. <laughs> something crazy, you know, because it, it just goes on and on and on. And there have been, there have been, you know, like eight overtime and nine overtime games. So some people say they don't like that. I don't know why you would have a problem with that if you're a football fan. Isn't more football a good thing? I would think it is, right? When, when you're seeing an exciting, thrill-packed end to a game, who wants to get it over with, right? Who wants it to be over quickly? Is it just me, or it's like, I, 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 want, I, want to see a, I want to see an entire year of Kansas City and Buffalo play each other, if they play like that. So maybe the college way is the better way to do it. Any thoughts on that? 210-599-5555. A lot of jokes, a lot of memes, about uh, how Mahomes only needed 13 seconds to uh, send that game into overtime. And the Cowboys had 14 seconds, and they ran one 
unsuccessful play. So in 13 seconds, he connects with Tyreek Hill, hits Travis Kelsey, and then they have time to kick a field goal and send the game to overtime. 13 seconds. I know it was different circumstances, but hard not to make that comparison. Mahomes, by the way, did something really classy. Uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, if you watched the game. At the end of the game, um, so they're, Kansas City wins the thing in overtime, and they're in Kansas City, and that's one of those very special places in football where you know there's just this great bond with the fans and the team, and there's a, a tradition there, and Arrowhead is one of those special places. So the, 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 the stadium is going bonkers, and the Chiefs are celebrating, and they're rolling around on the ground, and they're having such a good time. And Buffalo is this team that is so star-crossed. I mean, how many times have we seen it? Right In their heyday in the 90s, always a bridesmaid, never a bride, and all that. So anyway... Patrick Mahomes, who's in the center of all this celebrating, peels away. And he has to run like a zigzag. He has to dodge all of these other people and media people and cameras. And, you know, he has to, because he's determined, he's homing in on Josh Allen. He has to go all the way across the field. And he wants to find him and, you know, wish him well. And I think that meant a lot to Josh Allen. I think that probably took some of the sting away. And certainly it, it makes Patrick Mahomes look even better than he already does. So if a team, if a, uh, if a sport is going to have a, uh, an athlete be the face of that league or the face of that sport at any particular moment, um, and if that is Patrick Mahomes right now, I think that's, I think that's pretty good. 210-599-5555. All right, get some thoughts on whether or not we need a different overtime uh, rule, a different overtime policy. Robert is on KTSA. Robert, good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon, Jack. Yeah, me and my brother were discussing that about the game, and it's funny how college will let you um, tie the game, but uh, the other team tie the game, and the uh, NFL yeah. doesn't. And um, I think in time, then it, the NFL will change to break the the rules of the game, but Buffalo should have been given a chance to tie that game. And, and remember, that happened a few years ago when the Patriots and the Chiefs played in the in the title game. The the Patriots went in overtime and scored, and the Chiefs never got their hands on the ball. So yeah, maybe they could at least change that rule for postseason, and then if it works out in postseason, they could consider doing it for the regular season. But I agree with you on that, Robert. Thank you. Talk about the way the Buffalo Bills-Kansas City Chiefs game ended. Is there a better way to do that or are you okay with the fact that whichever team wins the coin toss if they score game's over and the other team never gets a possession i'm okay with that because what could be more random than a coin toss right but uh, by the by the same token it's not a very satisfying overtime period other sports that go into overtime the overtime period is like a miniature version of the regular game, right? If basketball goes into an overtime period or college football goes into an overtime period, it's a it's a new but miniature version of the way the game is played. This overtime is not like a regular quarter of football, and maybe it should be, maybe it needs to be. Alex is on 550 and 1071 KTSA San Antonio. Hi Alex. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Hands What down. do you think? 
Buffalo and Kansas City was the best playoff of all mm. the games played the weekend. Yeah. And it's sad that one had to lose because they're both good teams, not just from the quarterback up, from the quarterback down. I just really, really feel they're going to change some of the rules this coming year for next year into overtime. And I just have to say this. I really, really hope they put it to Dak Prescott for telling the fans to throw stuff at the refs. He deserves to be suspended 10 games at the beginning of next no, year. Thank no, you. no, no. Okay, all right, okay, 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 okay. I, I don't I don't agree with that at all. It was not a, it was not a good thing to say. Uh it was a classic case of blaming everybody else for the fact that you know you lost the game. Uh but no, I don't think he needs a 10 game suspension for crying out loud. Um 210-599-5555. I you know you should be able to say things, regret them, apologize for them. Pay a fine for them, and that and that should be it. Let's not let's not take a pound of flesh out of everybody for everything. Uh, you know, we're we're all going to have our moment where we just get so frustrated and angry that we lose control. Uh, I hope we can be you know welcome back into the into the circle of civilization after we after we do that. James is on the radio. Hi, James. Hey, Jack. How you doing? I'm glad. What do you think about changing the, the overtime rules? Do you think we need to do that? No, I think the pro uh, overtime rules are perfect because the reason is because the other team, if they hold them to a field goal, they get a chance to get the mm-hmm. ball. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the college, the college, um, they're too confusing. The overtime, uh, I, I don't like it. It's, I like, I think it's just too well, many. It's not um, confusing. Areas. I mean, they and they explain it to you when it goes into overtime in college. The the uh, the refs explain it to the teams. The announcers explain it to the audience. And if you forgot how it worked, they remind you, and and then you watch it. What's wrong with that? Well, that's a good attitude, uh, and I respect your opinion. But I wanted to. Uh, the main reason I'm calling uh, that 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 generated my call. Uh, how, why don't you like Josh Allen? Why don't I he, like him? Best, well, it's not about liking him. I'm just not a. I'm not a fan of his. I'm not a. I'm not really a fan of his game. I don't. I don't dislike him personally. You're not a fan of his game. You don't like that he can run for 80 yards and pass for 350. Um, he's he's very he's very he's very good, James. He's just not my kind of guy. That's all. He doesn't win the big games. He what? He doesn't win the big games. He he's been in a couple big games mm-hmm. and. Uh, I mean, you got to the AFC Championship last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and just like you said, we can agree to disagree about the college overtime uh, rules. We can agree to disagree about Josh Allen. I'm glad you like him, and apparently you do a lot. I don't really care for him. Because he can't win the big games. So now, James, are you are you are you like are you are you like butthurt over this? I mean, it's just an opinion about a football player. There's guys I like a lot that you probably don't even care about and it's just a it's a totally yeah, like subjective right to opinion, thing but it, but it doesn't your opinion doesn't make sense he, how many no 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 no, no james that's not how opinions work that's not how opinions work chief they don't have to make sense to you that's why they're opinions but he the fact that he can't win the big game he's only been in a couple of them and he's and he's okay. a damn good competitor I, I i would agree with that he's just not my cup of tea i don't really care for him 
you I don't, I don't hate him. I don't dislike him. I don't wish ill on him. I, I, I'm not. I, James, we're wasting a lot of time here. Okay, we agree to disagree on this. Okay. He's going to be the MVP. Okay. Well, you can call me back the day that happens and gloat about it. How about that? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jack. Happy holidays. <laughs> okay. okay. Happy holidays, Scott. You're on KTSa. <laughs> I've never heard I've never heard F U I've never heard F U sound like happy holidays before of you. I never I never knew those rhymed. <laughs> yeah, that's a new one. Uh, well, I was gonna point out they actually did change the overtime rules several years ago because so many teams would get in there and hunker down and kick a field goal to end the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They used to call it sudden death. Mm-hmm. So changing it to a a touchdown ends the mm-hmm. game. I thought worked really good because then both yeah. teams had a little extra motivation to score the touchdown or prevent them from scoring the touchdown. And so I like what you're saying. In other words, the, the, the touchdown thing means you've got to do something that's hard to do if you don't exactly. want the other team to get a possession. That's exactly right. Yeah. And no, I, I, that makes sense. Close and kick a field goal, and that was kind of cheap. Just get to the 20 and kick a field goal. And the other team doesn't even get to. Try. But I guess I guess so. the flaw here is that you're talking about postseason, so this is everybody's last game, and you, if you don't even get to touch it during the overtime period, that's a hard that's a hard thing for fans to to go home with. I mean, I saw that happen with with Brady and Mahomes a couple of years ago in the in the uh, AFC Championship game. And remember, they they thought it was almost the Chiefs fans were almost like this is cheating. We didn't even get to touch it. So when it happens to you, it doesn't seem like such a great you know rule, I guess, right? Well, the worst thing for the Bills last night is it happened to them twice. Oh, that's yes, true. Yeah. They couldn't stop yeah. them then. Yeah. And, if they if they had ended the game then they wouldn't have even we wouldn't even be talking about that. <laughs> I will say I will say even even with this controversy that was an incredible football game. It was the last two yeah. minutes were unbelievable. Yeah, especially the last two minutes. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate the call. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Brian is on KTSa. Hi, Brian. Hi, Jack. Hey, uh, nothing but love here, by the way. Um, oh, that's okay. I, I really appreciate the, way, <laughs> I appreciate the way you're highlighting the positive attributes of the game and so forth. I'm not necessarily for changing the rule or against it. I remember how it used to be. But I think it's just going to be another place where the better coach, and these NFL teams are so well coached now, most of them, um, that it'll be another opportunity for a well-coached team to, to take advantage of that. So, it, it, so the end result will be that the better team advances. Um, how does um, I, I, I lost you there somewhere? How would the better if if you're the only team to have a possession in overtime? How is that a test of being the better coached team? Well, I mean, uh, it, well, what we're going to see is having seen this now, the and maybe have uh, their defenses. I don't know. I'm not obviously at their level, but uh, uh, prepare this eventuality such that they maybe you play your defense. Mm-hmm. I guess what I like about the college rule is that you see the college rule is the opposite. In other words, it's not a score that ends the game. It's the failure to score that ends the game. 
And that's where I think better coaching is on display because each team takes, they take turns attempting to score under differing circumstances, circumstances that keep changing. And, and so when you fail, that's when the overtime is over and somebody wins. And I guess that, that's where I think you would get to see strategy or a deeper playbook or something like that, you know? Well, I do, I do agree with you. I think at the very least we should have a full overtime period uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I just I think people would generally be more. People are making great arguments on both sides. I like everything I'm hearing, but I guess people would be more satisfied if their team lost but actually touched the ball during that overtime period. You know, like okay, we we just came up short. Yeah. But seeing Josh Allen on the sideline that entire time, that's that's just that's going to stay with those people all, you know, all year long. So, appreciate it, Brian. Thank you. Let me get one more in here. And John is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Hi, John. Hey, man. I just wanted to say, um, especially comparing uh, these NFL playoff rules to other sports where you actually have series, best of three, best of four, it's really hard, um, even though, like you said earlier, that the, the coin flip is the ultimate chance, uh, the ultimate uh, example of, of chance, it's really hard to, like you said, uh, have your team go off after trading back and forth all that one game, and then it hits an overtime, don't have an opportunity to touch the ball, and the uh, the better team is supposed to win, whether it comes down to coaching, execution, all of that, the, with the play clock being such a big part of the NFL game, it almost seems like that gets taken away then when you go to these, hmm. uh, these playoff hmm. games. Yeah, no, that's a good Anti, point. Uh, pro rule change. <laughs> It, it, it just seems like in college you get more of what everybody wants, and I, I don't know why you would have a rule that that you know the, the, the NFL rule on overtime to me seems like let's get this over with. But fans, players, I mean, I would think they would want you know let's battle this out, let's keep going, let's keep let's keep playing. Maybe I'm wrong about that because I'm not a player, but I, I would think so. David is on KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, David. Hey, how's it going? Now, I'm not an aficionado of um, of uh, college football rules, but it sounds like what you're describing is very similar to the soccer sudden death rule where each team gets like six shots and we see who misses and who makes it. But for the NFL, I don't understand why an extra time period wouldn't work. It works for basketball. It works for baseball. Mm-hmm. Even soccer, they play an extra time uh, mm-hmm. before they do the sudden death. So why couldn't they just mm-hmm. do an extra inning? Maybe a shortened extra inning. Maybe an extra ten minutes. Mm-hmm. But just because mm-hmm. <clears throat> then you still have the, you know, football is very much driven by the momentum and who's got who's got things going at the time. And so if you play that extra ten minutes, you still have time to continue that. And uh, you know you can try and stop their momentum, get your own momentum going, but. Like the one drive, it's just like, I mean, Brady. Remember, he uh, he won the Super Bowl with never having led the entire game, <laughs> and they make one touchdown in the yeah. overtime. And that just hit, and that, the whole thing yeah. just felt like, really? Yeah. No, this there's crazy things that can happen, and they do seem to happen even more in the postseason for whatever uh, reason. We've had some crazy endings in Super Bowls, and now in some of the postseason playoff games yeah david i appreciate the call and one more thing real quick i i guess to me um i hear the arguments for keeping it the way it is but i don't understand the argument against 
the college rules in the sense of, well, Jack, that could go on for several. I, I'm not, I'm not following that argument only because, and I mean, you're entitled to have it, but if you like this sport, and presumably if you are watching all the way to the end of a game, and then you are staying to watch the overtime, presumably the, the more the better, right? I mean, life doesn't have enough joy. Life doesn't have enough moments of, boy, I'm loving this. You know, let me call somebody and see if they have the game on. Uh, we need that. That's that's what a, that's what an encore is in a concert, right? Hey, we thought it was over, and we get to hear a couple more songs. I don't think anybody ever says, "Oh, the, an encore." I thought this concert was over. <laughs> come on, come on, come on, you two, come on, Rolling Stones. I thought this concert was over. Let's get this over with. I don't want any more music from you people. I've been here for two hours. Don't play an encore. Now i got to sit back down again. No, it's not how I think most of us feel about these sports. 210-599-5555. By the way, um, Danny sent me this. I didn't see it. I guess Popovich was spouting off again yesterday about the voting rights so-called uh, bill before the Senate. So he was uh, telling the reporters uh, before the game that uh, the Republicans just won't help and they just won't participate and they don't get it and they're selfish and they're dangerous. And then he said, uh, maybe there wouldn't be a democracy if it weren't for black people. And I read that several times because I thought I'd read it wrong. And unless it's a misprint or a misquote, by uh, the Associated Press? I don't know what that means. Why is Greg Popovich the sage of the NBA, but when Aaron Rodgers, who's arguably the best player in the NFL, a candidate for MVP, if not Josh Allen or Tom Brady, right? Um, why, why would why is Aaron Rodgers just kooky and he should stay in his lane and you know what he's talking about? It's embarrassing. Uh, isn't that sort of a double standard? No, it's not sort of a double standard. It is a double standard. So maybe, um, maybe when Aaron Rodgers is as old as Greg Popovich and he's getting there. Me and Jim were over here just like, what are we watching? And it played out that way. We knew it was a quarterback duel, but how many times did it not live up to it? Today it did. This was a treat for the whole world. Down the middle to the end zone, and there it is! Touchdown number four on the night for Davis. Mahomes has hit his last eight. Looking to the end zone for the win! He caught it! Ball game! Chiefs to the championship game! These two guys know each other. Unbelievable. This, this is just unfathomable. The Bills had won this game. It was over. Josh Allen with a perfect postseason. And Patrick Mahomes somehow comes out there and shows the world I'm still here. Oh, my gosh. One of the great games you'll ever see in the history of the NFL. Kansas City wins it in overtime, 42-36. In one of the great divisional games of all time. The thing I like better than Tony Romo under ordinary circumstances is when Tony Romo gets that Jim kind of tone in his voice, you know. I just like <laughs> crack up when he gets that way. Jim! They added one! 
All right, 520 on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. We'll, um, we got a couple of things we want to talk about with our next guest. This will be one of them, though. Gilbert Garcia is a Metro columnist for the San Antonio Express News at express-news.com. And he's on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. And you're a big football fan. And uh, this, was a, this was a great weekend. Uh, you don't get many weekends where all four games are, you know, this suspenseful, this exciting. And, uh, and then that, you know, that last one was like the game that will go down for the ages. It's unbelievable. You were talking about Tony Romo, and you know when he was doing the unfathomable. He said, <laughs> "I love his enthusiasm." But you know, when, when when the Bills went ahead twenty nine twenty six, he he was saying like this is just this is the most you know incredible quarterback duel ever. And there were three more scores that were that were yet to mm-hmm. happen in the final mm-hmm. two minutes. You know, so it, it really yeah. he had the best hit was yet to come on that one. Yeah, um, well, we we just had a long, unexpectedly long debate. Uh, never know what tangent will go down on this show, and we we just went down the whole: do we need to keep the overtime rules, or should it be more like the way college plays overtime? Where where do you come in on that? Yeah, I think they need to change. My, look, they 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 improved things by saying a few years back by saying you had had to if you kicked a field goal. You can't end the game with a field goal, yeah. You couldn't end that end the game. You need to score a touchdown to end the game there. So I think that was an improvement. But, you know, it's a very offensive-oriented league right now. And um, it's, you know, you, you put one of these great quarterbacks in a situation where they go into overtime and the other team won't get a chance. I heard somebody suggest something today, which is a little different than what the college does, um, suggesting something where, you, where um, you'd maybe just have a 10-minute overtime and see who's mm-hmm. ahead. After that, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of a variation of what you do with like basketball overtime, mm-hmm. um, it, it would it would mean for you'd have some long games as a result of it. But I think it might be the fairest way of doing it. I think at the very least you've got to do it for postseason because there's something yeah. way worse about Josh Allen not touching that ball in this game than if we're just in week five or week seven or something. You know, that's right. So. Um, you, when when even you don't know the answer about something in politics, I'm worried. We just don't really know what's going on with Henry Cuellar, do we? No. I mean, we do know that, I mean, obviously the FBI uh, raided his home and his campaign headquarters last week. They took apparently a lot of documents, a computer and so on. They're, we know that their focus seems to be on Azerbaijan, the former Soviet Republic, and some 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 you know, some things that are going on with that. And I, I, the, the sense that we're getting is that you know possibly favors that were done by by uh, you know individuals from Azerbaijan connected maybe to U.S. you know businesses. We don't really know you know if are they looking into for wrongdoing from him or. Is, is is the connection more tangential? I mean, obviously, it looks really bad. The timing is terrible. You know, early voting starts in three weeks. Um, and I, I, I mean, I don't pretend to know what's what's going to come out of this, but I think that um, looking at it, as far as the voters in this in this district, and this is a district that basically stretches from the valley, McAllen up to East San Antonio. It's kind of anchored in Laredo, where he's from. I just don't know how voters are supposed to assess this. I mean, it, it looks bad for him, but we really don't know if he'll be indicted, if he's if if he's really even the center of the investigation. So, 
it's well, let's really say just for the sake of argument, let's say for the sake of argument that there's no resolution of this by the time early voting starts. It's still just an investigation. I could see it splitting the other way, where people are now thinking the FBI is very politicized yeah. or, you know, Cuellar is a thorn in the side of, of the D.C. Democrats because he goes his own way on immigration and the border. It yeah. could It could actually cause people in that district to think, now he's really our guy. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that, I mean, I'm, you know, I've heard a lot of different uh, takes on the, on what's going on over the past week, but one of them is from people saying, you know, the, the timing on this really smells, and it's just, it's very strange to have um, FBI rating a, a, a member of Congress's home just before people are going to start voting. So it might be that people will look and think there's something suspicious they're you know they're, they're out to get him in some way and it, it what's weird too is that his his main opponent jessica cisneros who is basically like kind of an aoc bernie sanders democrat um really hasn't said too much about it because i don't think she can say very much and then he's not saying very much so mm-hmm. it's this big issue that's really not being talked about uh, by either campaign a lot she did it i think she did comment on one of her social media uh accounts though that she sort of hinted about it, like, oh, I've suddenly got a lot more followers or money's really pouring in now. But, but but isn't the other danger here that if she somehow knocks him off, she might be much easier for a Republican to defeat? Yeah. Um, and again, you know, there, all, there are all these different theories going out there. What, you know, some will say, well, maybe it's somebody who's supportive of her, who, who were, they were tipping people off. Or then I, I've heard people suggest that, you know, maybe it was like a, a, a Republican. You know, again, we don't know any of these things, but you could look, you could look at it and think if you were a Republican candidate in that district, and it is a Democratic district, but it's it it is. You know, it's not a, an unwinnable district for a Republican. And you could see a Republican saying, maybe I'd rather, you know, face Jessica Cisneros than Henry Quayer in that district. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the, I don't know specifically that district, but I know that you know, along the border, um, Republicans are suddenly doing a lot better um, because of the border issues. And so it's, I guess it's not, to me, it's not inconceivable that that without him, considered sort of a moderate, middle-of-the-road guy. Without him, uh, that suddenly looks like the same kind of uh, gains that Republicans are making in other, you know, in other places along the border in local races and mayoral races and sheriff's races and things like that. Yeah, we, you know, we've seen, you know, he's been supportive of, you know, uh, Trump administration instituted policies like uh, Remain in Mexico and the use of Title 42 and, uh, you know, these things are, uh, it's, it's always very complex along the border because even Democrats sometimes, um, you know, they are, uh, will sometimes be supportive of, of tough policies on the border because this, these are, you know, these are issues that obviously affect them in a much more intense way than, than the rest of us. So, um, you know, he's, he, he's been there for eight terms now. So he's, he's obviously really are, he's 17 years now. So, um, Obviously, he's been he's been doing something right as far as the voters go in that district. If you had to guess, do you think we will know something specific before voting, or could this is your sense that this could just be in limbo? I, I think it's very likely that it could be in limbo. I mean, I, you know, what people are saying is that if for them to have taken this step to rate rate his home, they've probably gathered a lot of evidence uh, prior to doing that. 
But if we think about something like the Carlos Uresti situation, which didn't happen during a you know a, a, an election cycle for him, but you know his, I think his his law office was raided. And my memory is that it was months before we really knew yeah. uh, much more about that. All right, read them in the Express News, express-news.com. Gilbert Garcia, who do you like for uh, the Super Bowl? You know, um, I, I don't want to. I can't really bet against Mahomes, but uh, I, I really do like the Rams defense their pass rush they almost gave that game away yesterday but i, mm-hmm. I do think they, they've got a pretty strong team yeah okay that's good to see some new faces some new teams and franchises getting in there so we'll be the same old same old gilbert thank you so much welcome to the ktsa Connecticut quality water softeners newsmaker line editor-in-chief at foreigndesknews.com lisa daftari lisa welcome back good afternoon to you, thank you. um thank you. i got a serious simple question about this Ukraine conversation that we're suddenly having. Um, there's 74,000 U.S. personnel in Europe now. What would adding several thousand more mean in terms of, quote-unquote, sending a message? What what message does the 74,000 send? Right. Well, what does any message really send? And we know that um, Putin, has, Putin plays the global map like a chessboard. This is not something he just thought of, you know, overnight or, you know, this is a long time in the works. And he has he has reasons. He is working towards something much greater than than something that can be deterred with a slap on the wrist or a warning. Um, And for that reason, it's exactly what you said. When the Ukrainians are telling us there are over 100,000 troops amassed on the border between Ukraine and, and Russia, what will three to five thousand or even eight thousand troops um, do? And when you, as you perfectly said, when we already have a presence there, if that didn't deter them, why would now a fraction of the number of troops they have amassed on the border now deter right. them? Well, and, and also, um, unless I've missed something, there isn't anyone in this conversation who's seriously entertaining the thought of an actual land war with Russia in Ukraine, right? No, everyone's hoping this will just go away. Um, and they've asked nicely, and, it's, and, and, and Putin didn't really care. And they asked for a diplomatic meeting, and Putin didn't care. And they have um, brought up the conversation about sanctions, and Putin still didn't care. Mm. So now they're just hoping that they can have some sort of conversation about um, arms, arms race in the region, uh, perhaps NATO can reassess its position about the Ukraine. Um, it, you know, there's there's so many things that they're hoping they can use as leverage to make this go away. And and, and m- make this go away. We don't really even know what this is. Like I read an article that said Putin doesn't actually have to cross that border. He just has to topple that government. Right, and that's exactly what what sources are saying that 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 his plan is that he already even knows who he's going to put in place as a an interim um, a leader in in Ukraine, and that's his goal. He wants to take over. Um, and, and you know things are so different now. Exactly what you said. This doesn't have to uh, escalate to a land war. This doesn't have to heat up into something where you know militaries are involved. It just has to be something as easy as. As as the um, cyber attack that they that they launched on on the Ukrainians last week, just like Russia gave us a sampling of what that could look like here in the United States mm-hmm. with the targeting of, of certain infrastructures, so things are different. 
the Russians have evolved with time, and, and apparently the United States is, is, is playing catch-up. But the bottom line is this, and I know it's been said many times regarding other foreign policy crises, but, you know, there's a reason. This is this is not all just coincidental in terms of timing. This is all by design. You know, Putin is probably one of the last statesmen remaining, and he knows exactly what's going on. He knows who he's dealing with in Washington, D.C., and he knows that there won't be any consequences to what he does. They're following him instead of there being a leadership coming from the White House. You know, we're playing catch-up with what Putin's doing, and we're trying to say, well, please, pretty please don't do that. Pretty please with a cherry on top, please don't do that. Um, and Anthony Blinken all over the, was all over the, the news shows over the weekend and saying, where we think that we have other ways of de-escalating this. We know that we have other routes of de-escalating this. But meanwhile, we're just seeing escalation. We're not seeing any de-escalation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, probably the greatest de-escalation was when the president accidentally hinted that uh, a small incursion would be okay. Um, but what, what, what I what I guess I would also like to ask you, and I don't mean to put such a heavy question on you, but could you explain to people listening to this conversation and many others like it in recent days why they should even care if uh, Ukraine is or is not under uh, Putin's control? Yeah, it's a great question. It's probably the number one question I've been asked all day, and I've been doing interviews all day, so great question to you, Jack. Um, but I think that the main point is, you know, why should we care about anything that goes on in foreign policy, Right. Um, what, why does it even matter in, in anyone's day-to-day life, particularly right now in the United States when people are dealing with school boards and vaccine mandates and, you know, putting food on the table and the supply chain crisis, and I get that, I get that. Um, what we need to look at here is, is, is sovereignty. We need to look at, you know, lawlessness. We need to look at the way that the world goes. That, that's going to affect us here at home as well. That's going to affect our national security. It's going to affect our assets over there as well as over here. So when you connect the dots on Russia, which may take a while, but I'll just give you a few examples. They have their hands in Latin America. They have their hands in Syria. They have their hands in the African continent. They have their hands um, with the Iranian regime. And when you look at their hegemonic um, you know, the, their dreams of growing this Russian empire, just like the Iranians have their dream of growing their empire, and the North Koreans have a dream of, you know, being the nuclear power, and the Chinese want to take over the world. Well, that's where we need to step in and say, this is going to affect us. This is going to affect our national security. This is going to affect the way that we are perceived in the world, and therefore our security here at home as well will be jeopardized, along with many other ramifications. You're talking about economic ramifications. You're looking at, you know, the, the Russia having the ability to uh, gain power in certain parts of the world. You're looking at, you know, terrorism. You're looking at, at so many different things that we don't really have time to get into specifically. Mm-hmm. But when we connect the dots, when we we need to control the growth of many of these rogue nations and their desires to grow and to continue their aspirations. And the ones that come to mind right now are obviously China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela. Mm. Uh, And those are the ones that actually got the memo that nobody's really in in the office uh, at the White House. And they're going to take advantage of that. We're we're out of time, but I was listing earlier the uh, really impressive quote-unquote, commitments that NATO countries are promising to make Mm -hmm. uh, in the, you know, just, just, it's just an incredible armada of force. 
that they're uh, committing to this. And Trump had them right, didn't he? They're 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 just not gonna they're they're not gonna do anything as long as we keep doing it for them. Exactly right, and I think that that's really the main point here. Uh, that you know everyone's just kind of teetering along, hoping that someone else will take care of it, and they are you know delivering empty threats. But um, you know the, the United States have this, they, we already delivered our second. Um, weapons delivery to Ukraine today. It got there today. Uh, and that in and of itself is an escalation. Uh, and while we wait for these other NATO nations to, to kind of pay their share, do their share, uh, it's on us. It's going to be on us. And yeah. um, guess what? The, the, the Russians are seeing it as an as a, as a aggressive move by the United States, not by anyone else. Foreigndesknews.com, Lisa Daftari. Lisa, thank you so much. We appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know I shouldn't do it. No, I'll I'll leave it be. I was going to make a Josh Allen joke, but anyway, um, five fifty two. Jack Riccardi on five fifty and one zero seven one KTSa. Um, this is something that President Joe Biden said in January of last year as he was beginning his administration. He was trying to set the tone. He was trying to say things are going to be different now. It's not going to be like it was with Bad Orange Man. Uh, listen to this. Cut number seven. I want to thank your families for the sacrifices. But I'm not joking when I say this. If you're ever working with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone, I promise you I will fire you on the spot. On the spot. No ifs, ands, or buts. Everybody, everybody is entitled to be treated with decency and dignity. That's been missing in a big way. The last four years. Okay, so today the president was doing a C-SPAN uh, event. The White House press corps was invited in at the beginning, and then um, they were being herded out. As they were being herded out, and as is often the case in these situations, they were shouting questions, including, uh, in that gaggle, Fox News reporter Peter Ducey. Here's how that went down. Listen to this. We'll talk about it later. Thank you. Thank you. Why are you sending 8,500 troops to Ukraine, possibly? Thank you, guys. Will you take questions on inflation, then? Thank you. Thank you, Thank you all. Do you think inflation is a political liability? That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. Mm. So, he's calling Peter Ducey a stupid son of a bitch. Um, now... I'm I'm just I'm just trying to understand. Is that the um, everybody deserves to be treated with uh, decency and dignity part, or is that the I will fire you on the spot? Will he will he have a stern talking to with himself? Will he give himself a stern talking to? He probably already is talking to himself. I think if we're honest about this, but um, yeah. I know that all politicians are hypocritical, and he's not the first. He's also not the first to get caught on a hot mic. As somebody that works with a mic every day, it's impossible when you're around them not to get picked up and overheard and saying things. So I'm 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 mainly just kidding here. I'm funning here. I kid because I love. But yeah, it's it, to me the thing about this administration uh, that. It's just so glaringly obvious is they are just as disdainful of the press, the media, 
as as Trump and his team were, but for different reasons. Trump was angry because they wouldn't tell his story or tell it his way or um you know they 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 were working as the opposition to him biden and his team get angry at the press because they're not perfectly obsequious enough they're not they 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 fall a little short in their you know bootlicking they they miss a few spots on the boot and he gets furious the thing about Peter Duke, if I were them, and I obviously I'm not in a position to give them advice, if I were them, I'd be glad Peter Ducey was there because Peter Ducey's presence in the news conferences, Peter Ducey being called on by President Biden or by Jen Psaki, it gives an appearance of, oh, well, see, there's balance. See, look, we're taking an adversarial question. Or, look, there's somebody here from Fox. They they really couldn't hold that image together at all if it wasn't for Peter Doocy. He does them a huge favor just by being that, you know, sort of presence. And um, and I think that's why they do call on him. And I don't know if you've noticed, Jen Psaki uh, gets into it with him just about every day. At least she gets it. I don't know if Biden gets it. But, yeah, Doocy is their, Doocy's their beard. Doocy makes it look like this is all on the up and up. The rest of them. The people from PBS and the New York Times and Politico and the Washington Post. and I mean, they're so just crawling up his butt that it's embar- you get embarrassed for them. You know, when I was watching the news conference last week, they were thanking him and praising him for taking their question. It was like he was releasing hostages, you know. And I, so I think anything that creates the appearance or the illusion that this has balance uh, is to their uh, is to their favor. By the way, speaking of propaganda and what have you, are you ready for these Olympics? Do you realize Do you realize what this is going to be? I was reading today. Um, this was uh, in the New York Times uh, Twitter account. As Beijing prepares to host the 2022 games. It has changed a lot since it held the 2008 Summer Games. Instead of mollifying its critics, China defies them. But China has also expanded its economy and cleaned up its air pollution. Who wrote that for them? China? I mean, that's what the Olympics are going to be like. You heard that the athletes have been told, don't say anything, don't make any critical observations. NBC's not sending the the reporters this is going to be a, a two-week infomercial for the communist Chinese government. They're going to want to host the Olympics permanently. And knowing the uh, International Olympic Committee, they may let them. I mean, you, you, when, you're a, when you're a totalitarian regime that half the world is afraid of, the Olympics are exactly what you need, just what the doctor ordered. And if you don't believe me, tune it in. I think I'm going to be right about this one. Where are you on... Um, Send an extra U.S. troops or additional U.S. troops to Europe. I still like to hear a good explanation of why we have troops there now, and what is uh, what message is conveyed by their presence now. I, I could be persuaded. I would just like to hear it. Um, and then 
if we're sending a message with the 74,000 we have now, what would be the message if you add five or seven or 8,000 to that number? Because I don't believe in using people and, and quantities of people to send a message, but if you do, I'd like to know what that message is. And uh, what is the likelihood that message will be received by the interested party on the other end? So we'll talk about Ukraine, which is, is as you now know, I'm sure you've, you've noticed, Ukraine has taken the place of COVID as, you know, public enemy number one, main topic, biggest concern. This is what you should stay up at night worrying about. 210-599-5555 about COVID. There was a story over the weekend, I think this was the New York Times, that said the uh, federal government has a multi-billion dollar plan to hire virtual tutors to make up for the academic losses kids suffered due to virtual learning. Let me translate that for you. The people that shut down the schools and danced to the tune that was called by the teachers' unions are now going to spend billions of dollars more of your money hiring the members of those unions to do virtual tutoring to fix the problem they created. So we ruined your kids' education. We have a plan for fixing it, and we'll just need some more of your money. Okay. I'm glad my daughter is almost almost done with this. Um. I wonder how the virtual tutoring will work if a child, and I know it's hard to generalize, but we heard a lot of stories during the virtual learning time uh, uh, from parents and from kids who said, look, this just doesn't work for my kid or this doesn't work for me or attention span or whatever. So if you didn't learn well, I'm sorry, that's not coming out very very eloquently. If you, if you, didn't, if you didn't do uh, very well with remote education won't remote tutoring also maybe be problematic maybe it'll be different i don't know one-on-one um seems like a child that struggled with one would would perhaps struggle with the other a lot of parents have already started paying for private tutoring out of their own pockets because they're so freaked out and worried about what's going on uh with their children that's understandable and i'm sure the government will reimburse you for that (laughs) i don't think so um this is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, Virginia has a new governor, Glenn Youngkin. One of the first things he did is he said, I don't believe in mask mandates in the schools, so I am declaring that parents may opt out of the mask mandate. Now, he had to do it that way. He had to say parents can opt out because... Virginia passed a law for mask mandates. They said, we're going to follow CDC guidance. Whatever the CDC guidance is will be the law of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Well, the CDC currently recommends masking in schools. So, Youngkin would need the votes to overturn that law. Well, the the Senate in Virginia is 21 Democrats and 19 Republicans. If there's a tie, 
the lieutenant governor, Winston Sears, breaks the tie, just like Kamala Harris breaks the tie in the U.S. Senate. Tonight, a Democrat senator named Chap Peterson, that's a heck of a name, Chap Peterson is saying he sides with the governor. The masking should be optional. He's a Democrat. And if he sticks to that, then they could propose a new piece of legislation. It would be 20 to 20, and when some Sears would break the tie. You realize what's happening here. They're, they're, they're seeing the handwriting on the wall. It's not that Democrats are coming to their senses. It's that they are coming up on a midterm election. They'll still be crazy and radical left afterwards. But right now... And for the next several months, you're going to be seeing a lot of people in a lot of different political offices around this country frantically trying to signal to you how reasonable and just like you they are. I don't know how successful they'll be because we've had a chance to watch this over a long period of time. And I don't think people have ever had more of a sense, in my lifetime, I don't think people have ever had more of a sense of the gulf between the politicians and how we actually live. I mean, that's not a new concept. That's not a new idea. It's a very old idea. But in this country, I think that is probably more pronounced right now. COVID did that. COVID was the greatest um, spotlight or x-ray on political hypocrisy that we have had. So we've learned a lot about each other. We've learned a lot about human nature. We've also learned a lot, or some some of us have, if we didn't already know it, about the uh, people who would rule us. So we'll see what happens in Virginia. The the the, um, the approach that Youngkin is taking. I, what I like about Glenn Youngkin is everything he does, even if you disagree with it. It's so reasonable, it's, it's framed and phrased in such a reasonable way that I think it's frustrating to people that want to oppose it. You know, there's a place for, you know, go for broke and Ron DeSantis, and I, and I love that too. But Yunkin seems to have a knack for saying things that are very, very hard to argue with. It just his, his position on the mask is, why don't we just leave it up to the parents? If parents want their kids to wear a mask, they come to school, they have a mask. If they don't, they don't need to wear it. Um, it's pretty clear that the general thrust of the guidance and the experts uh, is that we are closer to the end of COVID than to the beginning of it. Not everybody is on the same page. Uh, the WHO guy says he thinks there's more variants coming. Uh, you know, I, I saw where uh, the Metro Health uh, woman there said, "Well, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to suggest that we're near the end or we're getting to the end." But you know, you can kind of read between the lines. Omicron may not be the last variant, but Omicron is changing the herd. <laughs> so many people have it right now. So many people are getting it right now that it, it, when it crests and it peaks and it's over, even if there are other variants, we're going to be in a very different place immunity-wise just because of Omicron. And yet it's also very clear, and we talked about this a little bit last week, 
that there are people among us, and they may be in your family, they may be co-workers of yours, they may live in your house, who do not want to let go and will not give up their masks and their precautions. They are, they don't, it doesn't matter who tells them to go back out there or who tells them they can go into stores or restaurants, they're not going to do it. We have to accept this. And we have to accept, just like we're, just like we're always told to accept and tolerate differences and diversity. We're going to have to accept this. The only thing we don't have to do is accept that these people can dictate their whims and preferences to the rest of us. That needs to be over. On um, Bill Maher's um, real-time show, he had uh, Barry Weiss on. We've, we've played some stuff from her before. She used to work for the New York Times. She's one of those people who had a red pill moment of awakening. She was covering COVID, among other things, for the New York Times. And she just got to the point where she got so fed up with the party line, she left the paper. She's now a podcaster. And this is what I want to play for you what she said Friday night on this uh, Bill Maher panel. Bear in mind as you hear this, this young woman was a New York Times reporter until fairly recently. Listen to this. I'm done. With this no, I'm done with COVID. Oh, I'm, I'm done. It's yeah. like I, I went so hard on COVID. I yeah, sprayed the Pringles cans that I bought at the grocery store, stripped my clothes off because I thought COVID would be on my clothes. Like, I did it all. I watched Tiger King. I got to the end of Spotify. Like, we all did it, right? And no, no, we didn't all do it. Well, here's the thing. A lot, no, of, us, a lot of us did do it. And then we were told, you get the vaccine. You get the vaccine and you get back to normal. And we haven't gotten back to normal. And it's ridiculous at this point. I know that so many of my liberal and progressive friends are with me on this and they do not want to say it out loud because they are scared to be called anti-vax or to be called science denial or to be, you know, smeared as a trumper. I'm sorry, if you believe the science, you will look at the data that we did not have two years ago. And you will find out that cloth masks do not do anything. You will realize that you can show your vaccine passport at a restaurant and still be asymptomatic and carrying Omicron. And you will realize, most importantly, that this is going to be remembered by the younger generation as a catastrophic moral crime. The city of Flint, Michigan, which is 80%, I think, minority students, has just announced indefinite virtual schooling. In the past two years, we've seen among young girls a 51% increase in self-harm. People are killing themselves. They are anxious. They are depressed. They are lonely. That is why we need to end it more than any inconvenience that it's been to the rest of us. I think... It's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's not real anymore. So that clip has now been seen almost four million times. And um, I was saying earlier, this is the kind of stuff you're hearing more of and in more places and from more people. And yet, six months ago, a year ago, this is the kind of stuff that would have gotten you banned, deplatformed, your account is frozen, you're in violation of our terms. And it's... 
not new to you and me, but it's striking at the way people are rearranging and sorting themselves on this question. Now, again, not everybody is. So Bill Maher on that same show told some jokes, and The View, the women of The View, who I'm telling you, in another day and time, they would have been the jury of the Salem witch trials. These 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 view panelists, right? They're so they're so about condemning and and uh, the, you know <laughs> guilty verdicts. So they went off on Bill Maher because how dare he? Listen to this. Just people on the fringe either who are That's who are you know speaking out like this. And over the weekend, Bill Maher made a case for people who are vaccinated, boosted, and have been following the rules since all of this started. Take a look. You don't want to live in your paranoid world anymore. Your mask paranoid world. You know you go out. It's silly now. You know you have your mask. You have to have a card. You have to have a booster. They scan your head. <laughs> Like you're a cashier and I'm a bunch of bananas. I'm not bananas, you are. That's not really funny to people who have lost their kids mm, to no. this vaccine or people who have lost family members or dear friends to this. It's, it's just, you know, listen, nobody on the planet really wants to go through this. This is not something we're doing because it's, you know, sexually gratifying. This is what we're doing to protect our families. And you don't have to do it, but stay away from everybody. Because if you're the one who's not paying attention, and you're coughing and sneezing, you don't want to, then stay out of the public, man. This is not, nobody wants this. I don't want it. And I think he's forgetting that people are still at risk who cannot get vaccinated. People who can't get, little kids under the age of five. Yeah. Or people with health conditions. How dare you be so flippant, man? They're, they're, still, like, they're, gotta, they're over it. Like, yeah. like a relationship. I'm yeah. over it. I don't feel like I don't seeing think him we're anymore. To the post-mask part, because I think there's a prudence we've learned with the mask, the hand, sanita- uh, hand sanitizing that kind of like 9-11 with flying is always going to be here now. There's a new normal. In the beginning, when at post-9-11, people didn't want to fly, and the security measures felt like, uh, how do we do this, you know? And now it's the norm. I think some of the things we've learned in this pandemic are going to stay the same. I may never ride a subway again without a mask. I may never go indoors to big crowds and ever feel comfortable without a mask, and that's up to me to do that. I, I really believe... With all due respect to the ladies of The View, I I really do believe there are people, I don't know any of them personally, but I really do believe there are people who do love the restriction, the self-censoring. And when when the mask makes them uncomfortable, that's a kind of uh, pleasure-pain thing for them. Like, I'm, I'm uncomfortable for the greater good. I hate the mask, but I'm saving the life of the person next to me. And they really believe this. And they're never going to change, and no one will be able to tell them they don't need it anymore. And if anyone who they've previously trusted for expertise does tell them that, we're already seeing this, they turn on him or her. How could you? How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) That's the slogan of the decade, isn't it?
KTSA News Time 640. Jack Riccardi on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. We're going to see how you voted on the Stevens Roofing JR poll here coming up. Um, remember there was a big push a couple of years ago for, um, if I, I call it, you know, fake meat, but I guess they, the, the proper term for it is plant based meat, plant based chicken, plant. I see, I thought all meat was plant based because the animals that we eat eat plants. No? Okay. Well, anyway. So companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat and uh, these places that have uh, plant-based chicken nuggets or chicken sandwiches or whatever and Earth Burger and all these different places. So there's been a big push for all this. And part of it is people choosing to do it for dietary reasons. That's an individual choice. But there's also sort of an elite, I guess you'd say, uh, gospel here, right, where as part of the Great Reset and in the post-COVID world, we need to have plant-based meat because the real thing is not sustainable and cows are polluting the, you know, earth with their, with their gas and all this other stuff. Of course, the people saying that will still let themselves go out to the French laundry for a nice filet mignon, but you and I, we don't need to be eating meat. We need to be eating impossible meat or impossible foods or beyond meat or whatever it's called. So anyway, I was reading today, um, this was at Bloomberg News. Impossible Foods is having big layoffs. They've announced an internal reorganization. And what's happening in this industry, <clears throat> this uh, industry, is um, sales are, are plummeting. Same thing with Beyond Meat and some of the other companies that uh, have these products or sell them. Now, I, I've actually tried these things. And they're not bad. I, I'm not going to switch over to them, but I've eaten them, and I would eat them again. And they're not—they're not bad. Um, and if you haven't tried them, give it a—you know—give it a shot. But um, it seems like this might have been a fad, not the new normal. The reason I bring this up is because you're going to hear the new normal a lot. People are going to declare all kinds of things the new normal. And what these things will all have in common is you're settling for something less than you got before. I used to get a delicious cheeseburger, and now I'm getting a plant-based burger. I uh, used to enjoy central air conditioning, and now I'm being told that's bad for the environment, and you don't really need it. The new normal will be diminished expectations. Lower your expectations. The things you enjoyed before the pandemic, you didn't really need. You might have enjoyed them, but you didn't really need them. They weren't good for us. They weren't sustainable. And you need to get used to less. But that's just talk. That's just talk. It doesn't mean it is the new normal. They can say it all they want. They can wish for it all they want. They can try to convince you that you're happy with less. You don't have to be. It looks to me, and I'm, again, I'm just reading the, the article, it looks to me like a lot of people have tried Beyond Meat and Impossible Burgers like I did and found them not an equal uh, trade-off. I think there's a lot more of that to come. 
210-599-5555. We're going to see how you voted on tonight's Stevens Roofing JR poll. And uh, we're going to remember, well, I'm going to call him a great American. You'll get mad at me when you hear the name, but he, he really was a great American. He was more American than a lot of Americans are. We'll remember him coming up. JR poll powered by Stevens Roofing. The question was for or against sending more troops to Europe? Are you for or against sending more soldiers to send a message? 81% say they're against. 19% say they're for. We'll have a new JR poll when we get started tomorrow at 4. You can find the poll anytime on the Jack Riccardi page at KTSA.com. And by the way, um, I'll be in for Sean Ryman tomorrow morning as well, between 9 and 11. You know who Brian Stelter is over at CNN, right? This, this to me, sounds like a Saturday Night Live sketch. I can't believe they did this. Brian Stelter from CNN, Mr. Potato Head, went to a... Um, a public school in, I think it was in New York, to uh, be the guest speaker for the students in a class where they are learning, they're being taught how to spot and avoid online misinformation. So if they're learning the lesson on how to spot online misinformation, I imagine they were all pointing at Brian Stelter when he walked in. Because he's a big round mound of sound of disinformation. I mean, how richly ironic is it that you would bring in somebody from CNN? <laughs> I mean, that's that's like bringing a that's like bringing a a pole dancer in to teach you know abstinence or something. I don't even know that's a bad analogy, but I mean, good grief! And by the way, with all the news stories lately about CNN staff, I don't think I'd want them around kids, right? Should be like a thousand foot, thousand yard limit or buffer or something for CNN employees to go to public schools. You know, I don't think you can teach people how to spot disinformation. I think you become capable of spotting, detecting, sensing disinformation when you are well-read, well-rounded, when you have critical thinking capabilities. In other words, I'm serious now, I think they're trying to break this out into a skill, a separate skill, when it really is part of some other things. So it's hard to fool smart people, number one. So you have to be smart. It's hard to fool people that have done their homework and have read it's hard to fool people that have gone to multiple sources and say, well, I, don't, I won't take the first, I won't go by the first article I read or the first thing that pops up in my Google search or the first thing somebody tells me. I'll, I'll see if I can verify that or what do the other sources say. And then having a, a healthy dose of skepticism, not too much, but, but enough, right? Where you, if a politician promises you something, you think about it like, well, what what you know who is he taking that from if he's giving it to me and where in the constitution and what is the real motive here and when i accept something from someone i'm also giving that person or that entity some agency over me so if i if i if i let the politician do me a favor quote unquote i'm also letting him have power over me
So critical thinking is the key to fighting disinformation. We have to do a hundred things better with our kids. We can't just have a, a class or a week or a unit called spotting disinformation. Because it's all those things and many more. I've just touched on a few of them. And I, 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 I will always find this amazing. This generation carries around in their hand the most powerful computing capabilities ever known to be in the hands of a single person. More computing capability in your hand than was on the Apollo uh, space capsule to the moon. So we should be very good at vetting and sp- and, and, and testing and checking and, right? Should be way easier for us. It's not though, is it? We have the tool, don't have the technique. And speaking of that, what we used to say about a person that was well rounded or, uh, well grounded, sometimes the term was, he's a Renaissance man. And that was a reference to sort of, you know, Smart about a lot of things, knowledgeable about a lot of things, experienced in a lot of things. One of the great Renaissance men of all time was probably Winston Churchill. Today happens to be the day that Winston Churchill passed away in 1965. He was 90 years old. And Winston Churchill had an American mother, but of course was a British citizen and the Prime Minister of his country. In many ways, though, when I think about Winston Churchill, I think he is one of the greatest Americans who ever lived. He got, he embodied the things that many of our founders had, many of our greatest living and past Americans have had. Um, And, of course, we have a high school named after him right here in San Antonio. So So I... I think for tonight we will declare him one of the greatest Americans who ever lived. And here are some of the famous, most famous words of many spoken by Winston Churchill. We'll leave it with you tonight. We'll defend to the death their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender, and if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old.